and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 512. All right. What are we talking about tonight? Chad's favorite word, hodgepodge. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you put it it all together and and you'll have an episode. That's all we can say. (laughs) That's what happens when we don't want to do a whole lot of prep and read a bunch of issues. But... Also, don't have a new Green Lantern book to talk about for another month or so. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are creeping ever, ever closer to that. Uh, but we have a so we have a few things, a few things, including feedback that we'll discuss and uh, other other interesting topics that Chad will lead us into. So we're going to start off with this because even it is technically feedback, but it's also something that it was a really good idea and something we'll be. Once you hear it, then we'll we'll discuss probably what some of our ideas of how to implement this suggestion. So this is from some guy named Jim Ford. <laughs> yes, that Jim Ford. As I work to organize my office, the idea of what to put on the walls keeps popping into my head. And I think I want to display a few comics. Question is, which ones? So I'm putting it out to you guys to pick your favorites. Let's see if you can do 10 best all-time covers and then 10 best modern age, Grey Temple, Hal moving forward because we know chad is going to pick some oldies that cost a fortune mm-hmm. so which modern covers would you go with and just to set the rules it doesn't have to be a lantern book just as long as a lantern is on the cover does that green lantern issue a fanboy make your list i'll think about my favorites as well hopefully follow up with those jim ford that's that uh green lantern and kfc special <laughs> yeah yeah um so because it's a, because it's just generally speaking, it's a cool idea Though I guess we're going to have to figure out how to show people or come well, up. We could use the site or we can post the imager or we could uh, Reddit, make a Reddit thread. Yeah, there's there's multiple ways, but you're right. We can do a link. It's certainly on certainly when we post it onto the website, it's easy enough to just do a link, even if it's just one like combo PDF file of whichever yeah. covers we happen to choose at a given time. But I think the idea that Chad and I were throwing around is Jim's parameters are good and there's no reason why we because this is a this is a multi-layered topic and with a multi-optional topic because we can go in many different directions with this. We can do best our favorite covers that try to do a top ten covers from the Jeff Johns era, let alone just the modern era and just and everything else. So I think what we'll do is going this won't be every week. This will be probably when we have time to do a little bit of research and it fits appropriately into whatever we're, whatever topic we're doing. But we'll probably nominate 
some of our favorite covers during the basically meeting Jim's parameters that at least it has a lantern on the cover, even if it's not a proper issue of Green Lantern or a, a monthly lantern book, quote unquote, like a Sinestro book or New Guardians. I mean, but, yeah, a great example. And I don't know if it's going to make any of my top fives, but like I, I really in terms of modern and recent, uh, relatively recent, I really like that. What is it? DC versus vampires, maybe three, the variant cover with Hal and like the green construct ghosty stuff around him he had fangs you remember that cover i think i do but i think you're eliminated from this competition by going back to that series so soon <laughs> i'm <laughs> Sorry, not saying Jim. the story I, that was a pretty damn cool cover uh yes that's true if we can separate the uh icing from the cake then maybe you are correct on that uh but but it will well probably will i just spitballing here. Probably what we'll do is we'll pick a generic topic or one. We'll, we'll pick a, a, a field of conversation, a topic, a range, an era on a given episode. And then he'll he and I will pick some of our favorite covers from them. And then eventually we'll we'll compile them and we'll let people vote on maybe like the top five. We'll do a, assuming we'll come up. We'll, we'll we'll force ourselves at least that which shouldn't be hard anyway to have five separate covers, his, his five, my five, and then we'll let you guys vote on which covers you think should be in the top five or whatever the criteria is. And we can work and we can work our way towards decorating Jim's wall. Twitter allows a poll option, but I don't, how many spots, how many choices can you add? Okay. Four choices on a Twitter poll, but you can only make them last as long as seven days. Um, so maybe that won't work. You know, we could just, honestly, we could just use this as an opportunity to, to expand the discord audience. That's true too. Cause discord has polls and all kinds of shit. And plus and, we can post the images there, host them, all kinds of stuff. And plus even in theory, even if, even if Twitter only did allow us to put four items in a poll, then we could just nominate two and instead of doing five at a time, we could just do two and two. Or we could do brackets. Yeah, we could. That's true. We 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 could we could do brackets. We could uh, do we we would have to come into agreement which ones are going to square off against each other because that's true. <laughs> but either way, or we could just ran, or we could just do it random. We could, it could be like a four sided die or whatever and, and match them up. But either way, the poll option even in Twitter is not necessarily something that we should dismiss. But it is. But either way, it it's probably a cool interactive way to get people's thoughts and and also go along the idea of. Uh, or go along with the idea that Jim kind of suggested. And and it's I don't it's probably something we've thought I don't know if we've actively talked about it, but it's probably a topic that we certainly have thought about before. Yeah, it's yeah. just hard to do because we're an audio medium. But like yes. it's yes. we we just take advantage of what we have already and see what works. Hell, we could even combine it. We can do both Discord and Twitter and just combine the results and see what wins. Um, you know, but um, you unless know. unless we do that as unless we use this as a pre- as a gateway to do our first video episode. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, and, I mean, and we can I mean, we can also just like have fun with it. Like, uh, uh, you know, he, he he talks a bit about eras and stuff, but we could also do like best variant, best uh, best uh, team up, you know, uh, yeah, if, if we, there's tons if we, of things. There's yeah, that that was my first reaction when he made the suggestion is that it's it's kind of like a. It's like a, a gold mine potentially of different of things we can go to, almost like the famous firsts and things like that, because there's there's so many options. Which I want to do another one. I love I like doing the famous firsts. So yes, fun. and there's so many good there's so many good covers and things. So yeah, for sure. All right, so we wanted to get that out there. 
All right, Chad, hit us, hit us with one of one of your topics that you're ready to roll into. Yeah, Funko, 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 Funko is pissing me off. <laughs> um, so, like, look, here's the deal. I, I I almost feel hypocritical talking about all this because I'm looking at a wall full of Funkos. You know what I mean? And I'm going to continue buying some of the stuff that I'm interested in. Like if they come out with a new lantern Funko, I'm probably going to grab it. If they come out, obviously I have my, you know, what I refer to as my teeth and tongues symbiote collection because I don't like, I don't have the regular black suit Superman or sorry, Superman, Spider-Man because he's not showing teeth. He's not sticking. It's just a black suit Spidey. Um, so I don't have that as part of my collection, but I'm going off, off the rails already, but Funko's pissing me off. So obviously they've been doing the NFT thing, which is crazy. And, you know, people, you know, some people like crypto and NFTs and stuff, but here's the deal. It's like the, the problem with the NFT side is they've had the licenses to these things and they've had the option to be creating these Funkos all along, but they waited until they could get the most profit off it, which is like to get mad at a business for trying to make the most profit is a little sketchy ground to begin with. But this is a really kind of shitty way to do it. And, you know, you we how long have we waited for a parallax or a classic Kyle Rayner or whatever? And they finally decided to do it, but only as a part of an NFT scam. Uh, and that's kind of a pain in the ass. Then we get the news that Funko uh a year ago funko got bought a brand called mondo now um those of you who are familiar with alamo draft house because uh, i know they're all across the country now i think they started down here in, in in texas but they're all over different places a lot of you are probably familiar with mondo because um if alamo draft house has like a special glass like a decorative glass uh, or a poster or something like that. It's usually done by Mondo Gallery. A year ago, about a year ago, Funko bought Mondo. And Mondo had a gallery down here in Austin. And they do they did a lot of like limited print runs of really special art, specialized art posters. I have three of them on my wall right now. But we got the news, I don't know how long ago it was at this point, what is time, um, a week ago or so, that... Funko had laid off everybody over at Mondo. They have since put out some sort of a statement that they're still going to be releasing the posters and like the, the heart of what they do is, is, is going to be great. And it's still, it's still going to be uh, really, we're still going to have posters. They're just going to make it a little easier to get in hands, which <laughs> I really doubt when Funko has put out one in 24 Funko pops before. So I really doubt they're, uh, uh, aim for for making it easier to get into collectors' hands is going to is going to continue. But you can find that if you go over to Mondo Mondo's Twitter, there's a statement over there. I don't want to read the whole stupid thing out here. But then you also get the um, <laughs> the idea. This came out in March actually, and uh, this is a headline. I'm on USA Today right now. The headline, Funko Pop figurines to be trashed as the company moves to throw out $30 million worth in excess. So this company that has had the licenses to so many things for so long and waits to publish them just for an NFT gimmick. This company who pumps and dumps a beloved Austin institution. I'm sorry. um, I am a Austin, Texas native. 
born and raised in the city, which is more than a lot of people who live in the city can say. I freaking love Mondo. It was a great staple. It was a really unique expression of the art and the artistry in the city and stuff like that. Uh, and its connection to entertainment and things like that. They bought and sold. They they bought that company and then pumped and dumped its it for its IP and and for its uh, its its um, clientele. And it turns out all the shit they did before it doesn't. It, they're they're marking up their own stuff like they're they're hyping up their own product, only to turn around and dump thirty million dollars worth of it into the dumpster. I don't I don't know what's going on with Funko. I think they I mean, they they apparently part of the reason they let go of a lot of the people over at Mondo was because they posted a loss for the first. I don't know how the, the market works in that regard, it's, but they the, the company posted its first loss in a long time, a significant loss uh, in its value. So I don't know the between the NFT thing, pumping and dumping uh, Mondo like that, despite whatever. Uh, statement that they just came out with the other day uh, this 30 million dollars worth of stuff going into the dump i don't know what the hell is going on with funko but their sort of um grandiose attitude about themselves needs to stop uh because clearly they're not the hot shit they think they are or thought they were because i i don't know any other company that dumps out that much of its of its product into the trash because they have so much excess <laughs> yeah that would make sense too when you think about it they they put out so many they put out so much stuff and in some of it's very very obscure <laughs> but they really it does make you wonder maybe a classic example of just because you can do something doesn't mean you should just because you have a license to a particular brand doesn't mean you have to mine it or, or strip mine it to to put up so many characters and different variants and things like that that maybe the well, not maybe that a marketplace really can't support because it's just not that popular. It's a niche, like a, a niche uh, appeal for certain franchises and brands. But I guess I guess this will be our modern version of the E.T. cartridges from Atari. <laughs> buried someone bur- buried out in the desert in a dump because they had, couldn't get rid of them, couldn't give them away. Yeah, it is, it is interesting to see if this is going to change a little bit about how Funko operates and how they approach carpet bombing everybody with with pops the way they do uh they still put out some cool stuff they not i don't mean just sculpt wise but they do put out some interesting characters and get some interesting brands and brands franchises but at the end of the day it will be it will be something to watch to see if this if the way they operate has any does any dr- dramatic change or even subtle change, or, or this is just nothing more than kind of like a course correction where we've kind of seen the the peak of the Funko empire. And now this is like almost everything else that it reaches a fever pitch that eventually it, you oversaturate the market or something else comes along. You overreach too. And then boom, all of a sudden the pendulum starts going back in the opposite direction. So I do, it, I think it will be something to, to keep an eye on. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't I don't know what they're trying to do over there because it's uh Yeah, you've been getting into the you've been getting into the sodas actually lately, right? Generally speaking, that is correct. It depend it has to be on the it has to be a character that I like and it has to be a sculpt that I like. I mean they did those Captain America endgame sodas that I just don't like the sculpts. I just don't think it works. So just the same my my same my same take on why 
I don't have a single stitch Funko Funko Pop because I, because it just doesn't translate well into. I almost pulled the trigger on that Entertainment Earth Halloween skeleton outfit exclusive because it actually looks pretty good. But for the most part, his face just doesn't translate well into pop form. But I did get the soda. That's one of the things when I do upload the uh, Big Bad Toy Store boxing. Kind of funny. is It was the holiday stitch that, of course, when I when I got the box, when I did. And, and, and I couldn't have gotten there before anyway because he didn't arrive. But it's kind of just in time for Easter, the Christmas stitch. <laughs> But yeah, I th- I I think the sodas are cool. If, if and if I've had a decent amount of luck getting the variants, I've kind of been in a cold spell lately. But certainly when we first started off with that with the Johns and the Hal's, I did pretty well with those. Yeah, for sure. Um, and speaking of companies, because I just uh, it just this just popped into my mind. We don't have to talk about it because I don't think you ever bought anything from them, Mark. But I got an email today, uh, just before five p.m. Central Standard Time. Big Apple Collectibles is shutting down. Um, they said, and it's a it's a like four or five paragraph email, but I'm just going to read the first sentence. It is with great sadness that we must inform you that Big Bat, or sorry, Big Apple Collectibles, your go-to destination for unique and high-quality toys, will be ceasing operations due to unforeseen circumstances beyond our control. So I don't know if anybody ever bought anything from uh, Big Apple. I know I did because they had a couple of Funkos at one point that I liked. Uh, one of which was a Black Adam Funko before the movie, well before the movie came out. Um, I think it was like a is a shared exclusive with uh, New York Comic Con or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, Big Big Apple is shutting down as well. Not that Funko is shutting down, but we're talking about throwing them throwing shit in the trash and laying off everybody at Mondo. Big Apple is also in trouble because they're shutting down operations. Yeah, it does. I don't. On some basic level, I think we're going to, I mean, we know things are cyclical, but it's it's not easy out there right now, clearly, as mm-hmm. as we know. Again, some of the stuff, depending on what you sell and what your what your clientele is, sometimes it, even if there was an, even if it was always kind of a niche market, but the, but the niche was hot enough where you didn't have to worry about it. And then it's like, it's like a lot of, forget about collecting. It's just a lot of other businesses in general. It's like. It's kind of like the stuff we talked about, though. I thought we, talk, I think we talked about it off the air, like with Doctor Squatch and and different and different soaps and things like that. The fact that you you you're more of a body wash guy, which I can certainly understand. And Doctor Squatch currently doesn't do body wash, but you would think it would be something that, at the very least, they'd want to look into because just by not making any effort, you're kind of seeding the market to yeah. to everybody else. You're seeding it to Men's Dove and Duke Cannon and Everyman Jack and all these other companies. At least. Because you have a brand, if you try it, it's, it's not like it's diametrically opposed. To, you know, it's not like it's not like you're making breakfast cereal and all of a sudden like you're selling sweaters. You know, it's not like it's diametrically opposed. But by not even trying to, you know, you have brand loyalty and brand loyalty do, can matter. So, but if you don't expand and you just stick to one thing, then you you may not necessarily you may be able to survive certainly for a long period of time, but you're not necessarily expanding your imprint in your footprint. So. I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that going on, if, and and especially with toys. We know, you know, we know toys just like that. That kind of that kind of rises and falls too. Toy collecting and and it depends. I mean, the Funkos probably have been a big boon in the toy collecting world you know, over the like the last seven eight years so, or so. But we've been down that road with a lot of things that have been po- big and popular and 
they a lot of many things just seem to come come and go when you look at so many so many things that were hot whether they were beanie babies or other things or or furbies and things like that that there's lots of things that are really popular for a long period even for a decent amount of time if not a long period of time just yeah so it's on some level it's predictable but it's always even if it wasn't 100 percent like foreseeable it is kind of sad to see when things kind of go this way yeah 100 percent. all right what's next so we're going to segue and a one and a two <laughs> and a one i know and a one and a two so we're going to segue back into sh- feedback now we're going to go and lance has a had a few things to say about different topics that we've that we've covered lately. So we're going to deal with the first one, which I think is about, I think it's a, he mentions Ant-Man, but it's also about this one is about the, uh, yeah, I think it's about, this one's mostly about Marvel. We're going to start with, and then we'll roll into the one about pride and everything else. So, so we'll listen. So we'll listen and then we'll, and we'll come back. Hey there. Uh, I'm going to try to make this quick. Um, this is Lance just talking about uh, some views on the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania movie. Um, in general, I thought it was a great family movie. I really liked Michelle Pfeiffer and Jonathan Majors. I enjoy uh, Jonathan Majors' growth kind of from um, as early as I can recall seeing him over time. I think he's grown a lot as an actor and I'm interested to see where um, Kang goes and what he does in the future. Um, there were some, there were definitely some criticisms of the movie. Um, I found it a little bit derivative in some areas. I know other people saw other things. Um, mine was mostly with Thor Ragnarok, um, but I have heard others. Um, but that being said, there were some cool, unique ideas for me. The highlight was uh, the living buildings. Um, I thought it was a really nice expansion on uh, the bioship from Young Justice and this whole idea of um, things that are usually inanimate being more sentient. I think that's really cool. Uh, something I didn't enjoy as much was that Modoc kind of depiction when you when the mask was lifted. It wasn't enough to ruin the movie, but it definitely like took me out of it. Um, I also would have liked to see more hope, um, but I just kind of think that's them uh, setting her up to be a scroll for Secret Invasion. Uh, the one thing that I really did not like that kind of didn't need to happen. Uh, was the scapegoating of Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. Um, I just feel like even if your movie was put at a lower priority, it might have been for a good reason, right? Um, the loss of this character who meant so much to such a large part of the audience, I think, is, um, I think it crosses the line into disrespectful. Um, I think Kid Fury talks about it uh, really well in one of the more recent episodes of The Read, which is a fantastic podcast. You should check it out if you haven't. Um, but, yeah, the movies just have different audiences, and they uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp is on its own an enjoyable movie. You could just say that and ask people to give it a chance, and they would have had a good time. But I really feel like they um, squandered any goodwill that they would have gotten through that by scapegoating this other really fantastic really important movie otherwise it was enjoyable um it's unfortunate that it went that way but i'm excited to see where things go moving forward hopefully people you know grow and give us better stories in the future 
that's all we can ask for. Uh, thank you both. Uh, thank you all. This is a wonderful experience. Talk to you later. Bye. So you still you still have not seen Quantumania, right? I haven't, but I can speak a little bit to what he's saying. So he's saying, did did something happen in the marketing for this movie or in the the press um uh, the the press junket uh, for this where they were kind of talking about uh, Wakanda Forever overshadowing it or something? See, in a lot of I was I was listening to that again, and I'm trying and I was trying to this is it's probably something I'm zoning out about. I don't I'm not I'm not entirely sure exactly what the what the what his point about scapegoating Wakanda forever is. I don't know. Which I finally have seen, by the way. So what did you think about that? I liked it. Um, I liked it more than I thought it, I thought it would. I was putting it off for a while for a number of reasons. Most of which is I've talked about recently. I'm for some reason I'm in a rewatch zones, things I'm comfortable with as opposed to sitting down and watching something new, but I watched it and I enjoyed it. Look, uh, here's Here's one big problem I have that, uh, and I listened to y'all talk about the movie, the episode you and Dan did, but here that you guys didn't talk about, and it's a problem I had during the first Godzilla movie. There was a lot of dark scenes in this movie. Um, I have a new 50 inch uh, 4K screen in my house now. Um, I bought it several weeks back. <laughs> Bad timing on my part, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, and I watched the movie on the new TV and despite the settings and everything, there were some scenes I could literally barely see in that film. Most notably, I'm talking about the scene where Shuri and her mother are talking and Namor comes ashore for the first time. That was such a dark, dark scene. And I, I like, I had all the lights off in my apartment. But it was during the day, so there's maybe a bit of a glare from the the window, uh, from the the light coming through the blinds. But that's about it. And it's a new, it's a brand new TV, and you can flip through a bunch of different settings to try and make it a little bit brighter. But here's the thing: you shouldn't have to change the settings of your TV for one scene because whatever I change it to for that specific scene to look better to for me, it's not going to look good on the rest of the scenes. So you shouldn't have to adjust the contrast and all that other bullshit uh, of your screen in order to just see what the hell is happening on the screen in the daytime. I shouldn't have to be in a completely black room to see what's happening on the screen. Um, it's a minor nitpick. It just sounds like a bigger one because I'm so frustrated with it, but I really, it really is a frustrating experience to watch a movie and literally not be able to see some of the scenes. So that's kind of a pain in the ass. But um, otherwise I thought it, I I was concerned that it was going to be a big Chadwick Boseman sort of, um, you know, memorial type of thing. We were going to spend a lot of time with that and we did in one way, but it was it was still an interesting story, and I, I had a lot of fun with it. And if there was any scapegoating that he's talking about, um, we have to remember that unlike other, unlike other, and this I think this might be a point he was alluding to in that voicemail. Unlike other films in the MCU, Black Panther, whether you uh, whether you agree with it on uh, to the scale that it was, it still had an impact outside of superhero movies the the first black panther movie was a social event in and of itself outside of the mcu for a lot of people um there are a lot of people who saw black panther and liked black panther and wanted to be involved with the world of black panther 
that didn't have or want anything to do with the rest of the MCU. Now, whether that's a sizable portion or not, that's neither here nor there. It's just the fact that that exists for that movie. And that really probably doesn't exist for other MCU type films here and there is it's a cultural event in and of its own. So right away, it's going to have a bit of a different audience. And plus you're, you you're kind of dealing with some stuff to maybe set up some new characters for the MCU moving forward, but it really is its own thing. Whereas Quantumania and you and I talked about this, even leading up to it coming out for a long time is these other matter, other movies didn't matter because we knew that Quantumania had to be the one to set up the next big Avengers event and the next big Thanos level threat or whatever we're, we're calling Kang at this point. So the the goals of them the audience of them they're they're very obviously at least for movies that are set within the same universe the two movies couldn't be more different in potential audience or potential or the reason people were going to see it if that makes any sense no i think i think it makes plenty of sense they the the, the movies were the movies are it's hard to say by design, but it may, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We didn't know this because we didn't even know Phase Four was ending <laughs> until Comic Con yeah. last year, which was another one of those great Marvel things. They should have at least let us know, assuming they knew all along that all those projects they announced that they were going to be in separate phases. But in many, I think on some levels anyway, that Wakanda Forever did kind of it was separate. It almost was like old school the way it connected the way it connected with Marvel in the past in their world building because obviously there were ties to things that were going on in, in outside of, of the scope of the movie but the movie did kind of stand on its own but did but also laid groundwork for world building and I think it ending Phase Four especially because Phase it end it gave you the movie was it was dark not just physically but obviously tone wise it was pretty. That, but that mirrored Shuri's journey. Yeah, for sure. Yes. And, and the fact that you felt hopeful at the end because Shuri kind of felt hopeful. And Shuri had that, you know, Shuri had that moment where that, that Anakin parallax moment when, when she could have, when she was on the verge of crossing over, which is why she saw Killmonger. Uh, in case people haven't figured it out, Killmonger is not right. People haven't figured that out yet. I don't know <laughs> what to tell you. The fact that he destroyed the purple flower answers the question. All his rhetoric sounds good and it, to a certain group of people, a certain a fraction of people, you know. But the reality is, if he was, if he wasn't full of shit, he wouldn't have destroyed all the purple flowers because that was a selfish move to make ensure he would stay in power and no one could challenge him. The reality is that. I think that I think that movie worked. Ant Man, and in a way, it contrasts nicely because Ant Man was the most hopeful character, gen- generally speaking, that we've had in the MCU. And you were supposed to be throwing him into the mix of something that was supposed to be so serious. And so that's why, if they had done something dramatic with Scott as in his fate in this movie, that it would have been a nice wake up call, smack in the face. Because again, Scott, like we, you and I talked about when we saw the. For the end game trailer, like the first end game trailer, and you commented on how dark the trailer was. And then Scott shows up at the end outside the Avengers compound. And you said, well, you know, that's, that seems, uh, doesn't seem to fit because it's so upbeat and so funny. It's like, but that was the point because that's not Scott was his hope, ironically, 
Scott is hope in the MCU and Scott should bringing that light lightness to the scene also is indicating Scott's the one that's bringing hope back to the MCU of how to, how to fix all this stuff. Yeah. I think that Ant-Man, of course, obviously the whole Jonathan Majors thing is <laughs> taking a, taking a detour right into a dirt road currently to see how that's all going to shake out personally with him. But I like Wakanda forever better. I have only seen Ant-Man Quantumania once. I'll see it when it comes on Disney+. Plus. I Even if I'd wanted to see it again, March was so packed. That's why I haven't seen Shazam yet. Plus, I don't really care about Shazam, but I'm seeing, seeing Shazam this Friday. So I'll finally cross that one off the list. But there were so many movies in March that seeing yeah. Ant-Man again, it was it just wasn't viable. And it just and I'm it, seeing Super Mario Bros. tomorrow. Hopefully, I, fi- I figured yes, I figured you were going to. I will probably see that next week. It was between it was either that or Shazam Friday, and we figured we would catch up and see Shazam just for just for the hell of it. I'll be I'll be curious to see if I really think it's bad or it just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Uh, but I think when you look at Ant and we'll and probably when you see Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania when you see it probably on Disney Plus. Then we'll probably talk a little bit more about it, but about why, what, 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 what went wrong? Because clearly something went wrong in box office wise. It's going wrong or has gone wrong since it's not going to beat either of the previous two movies worldwide. And it's going to, I think, eventually now squeak past Ant-Man and the Wasp domestically, but it's still like about $4 million behind. I think it'll do it. It's just taking a real, real long time. It's probably going to at least be another two weeks if it does it. And considering it costs seventy million more and everything else, it's not much to write home about. I can understand people having fun with Ant Man, but I just think it's unevenness. Ultimately, it just to me, I think that's what kind of ruined it more more than expectation. So I think Wakanda Forever worked better overall for what it was trying to be versus what Ant Man was trying to be. I think Wakanda succeeded when Ant Man didn't. Do you? Do you think the so like there are lots of reasons why, and I hate to use the word fail though I know you'd probably be more ready with it than I would, um, but do you th- do you think that's part of why the MCU is faltering right now in terms of Phase Four being so un un uh, uninspired un uh, r- remarkable so on and so forth with the, the various entries that we've been getting. So like there's multiple reasons for that, right? We can yes. talk about we can talk about the reality, like the real world stuff. We're talking about uh, actors and their contracts and you know budget, so on and so forth. Um, but then there has to be an in-universe and a storytelling reason for this in terms of the quality of storytelling, the characters being introduced, so on and so forth. Do you think they're going through character-wise? Do you think they're going through a DC 90s breaking their toys thing? Because in the 90s, obviously, we had to kill Superman and break Batman's back and make Hal go evil. So, like, what? The only do, one do, that stuck, too. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do you think we're going through that with the MCU? Like, in the one, in the one, uh, the in the Infinity Saga, I, I hate to say we've never seen them lose, but because we did, we saw them lose in yep. Infinity War. But they've, beaten thanos and they figured out freaking time travel to do it and they saved everybody like it's a whole thing so like do you think like now yes we saw them fail but the fail was so brief that now it felt like they could do anything and now we need to break the toys again uh because 
in some ways, like Thanos is a massive threat in in Marvel comics. So, but you're about to add things, or you have added, and hopefully we'll see where the threads of this go. But you've added uh, Celestials to the equation. Fantastic Four is coming up, so we're probably at some point going to have fucking Galactus as a threat. Um, we're going to, you know, obviously Kang has been introduced into whatever threat level he appears in this movie. I don't yet know. We'll see. Um, you're going to have, and is is he a, a universe threat? No, but he's a formidable threat if done right. With Fantastic Four, we get Doctor Doom. Uh, he, he they, say what you want about getting the Fantastic Four themselves right. If they don't get Doctor Doom right, they're fucked. By the way, I agree. The um the X Men are coming, so we're gonna have freaking Magneto, or we're gonna have Apocalypse, or like however Dark Phoenix, what like whatever the hell they go with that. You know the the threat levels that come with the the X universe and the Fantastic Four universe, Fin Fan Foom, like all that kind of shit. Do you think we're breaking the toys because we've seen them beat the biggest threat that we conceivably could consider them, but really we have to tear them down a bit and realize that no, 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 they can fail and fail repeatedly. I don't think that. I think there could be elements of this. I don't think that's what they're. I think. And mind you, we don't we still don't know how obviously phase five into phase six or how we how we as Marvel fans will feel about phases four through six, the multiverse saga. Yeah. Until it ends. And I and I got to be honest with you, the Secret Wars might not even what no matter how we feel about Secret Wars, that may not mean all that much, because that's literally something where you're going to be throwing so many characters against the wall because, you know, you can. And it. It people may like those movies and it still doesn't mean that the MCU is quote unquote back, but we're not, but objectively, we're not going to know how, how this works and doesn't work completely until it's all said and done. However, if it really blows up, then you, then there's going to be like books and movies and, and classes taught about how to, how to take your franchise and run it into the ground in such a short period of time. Uh, now we've seen it before. It's still not Game of Thrones final season you know episode and a half bad but i think ultimately i don't know if it's ego i don't know if it's because they've been unwilling to pivot especially since their original plans for post end game were before they had the rights to the fox properties i don't know i think they had they had a plan i don't think as, as we've seen it's been a particularly well thought out or good plan i th- whether it was all ego and thinking they could throw anything against the wall now and we can make it work but they've had very few successes so far especially when you look at introducing new characters that other than shang chi for the most part certainly movie wise they really haven't done anything that's been successful yeah uh guardians is going to be its own thing guardians we don't know how successful guardians is going to be i checked this week just to refresh my memory guardians 2 opened up to 146 million dollars domestically I don't know if Guardians 3 is going to open up that much. Maybe it will. Maybe it'll do like Doctor Strange like money. Honestly, this is this is one of the rare occasions, actually, I think, where the let's watch the marketing campaign for Guardians 3. Yeah, I think it. I think that is important. I, I think it's they didn't seem to do a great job in launching the tickets this week. I mean, they, they told you like a day before the tickets were going on sale, but they never told you when, even though rumors were it was going to be nine o'clock Eastern. And I think that was right. Cause I checked, I almost forgot. It was like nine 15. It's like, Oh, let me see if the tickets are on sale. 
So then I got I got my tickets for that Thursday in, uh, about a month from now when it opens. But but like I got the email from Regal where the thing popped like at four o'clock in the afternoon when the tickets would have been on sale for like about eight hours. It's like, I don't know. Guardians, see, they're almost damned if they're doing damned if they don't, though, of course, you'd rather be damned if you do in this case. Guardians, even if it succeeds, all it does is really stop the bleeding. It's on. It's its own animal. People are going would be people are going to see Guardians just if they whoever goes to see it because they want to see how that story, quote unquote, finishes, because Guardians has always kind of been outside the box. And yeah, it's, sto- it's its own. It's its own thing. Yeah, it's its own thing. The characters obviously have ties and interactions with other parts of the MCU, even though they didn't really have that until Infinity War. But the point is, it's its own. Th- you're right. I mean, you can almost take it to the bank. With maybe with the exception somewhere in Secret Wars of, of with Adam Warlock or some something, but almost nothing that's going to happen in that movie is going to have major consequences in phases five and six. You can almost take it to the bank. So if the movie succeeds, it succeeds because people have a fondness for these characters and they want to see how the story ends. So if it does succeed, do I think that has any impact on whether the Marvels is going to blow up in in, in, Mar- in Marvel Studios' face? No, I don't think it has any impact. All it does. It lets you catch your breath. It stops the bleeding and you don't have the moment and you don't have the realistic possibility that every single movie released in phase three is going to be a disappointment or a failure. That's all Guardian's success, assuming it is a big success. That's all it'll mean. It does not have it gives you a teeny tiny momentum. But because the Marvels is such an its own thing and we literally have not seen one scene or still from that movie. That movie is gonna was a, always a hard sell. I still would be stunned if that movie doesn't seriously disappoint. And then you're back to square one again, and you got to hope that Captain America, otherwise known as the Incredible Hulk two, uh, that movie succeeds because if it doesn't, now you now you're really steamrolling in the wrong direction. And I, I so I think they had the wrong plan. I think they had the wrong plan. They were fo- focusing on the wrong characters, and I'm and I'm. And I think what they're the way they're approaching the Avengers, I think, is ridiculous. I think they they are just like flipping the bird after a while to us as an audience. When I mean, when by the time Guardians comes out, it's going to be four years since Endgame, four years. And I know they lost a year because of COVID, but that's not an excuse anymore. Then it would be three years. We don't know jack shit about the Avengers. We don't know who's in the Avengers. We don't know wh- how they operate. All we know is the Sequoia Accords have been repealed. And that was a throwaway line in, in She-Hulk, which shouldn't have been something that important, shouldn't have been a, a borderline throwaway line. So we and they keep pushing it off. I mean, we didn't get uh, spoiler alert. We don't hear anything about and we don't get any closer to any kind of Avenger reveal in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. You know, it's not going to happen in Guardians. Only because Ms. Marvel is a fangirl, maybe you might get a reference, a passing reference in the Marvels. So that means you're going to go all the way into next year, maybe counting on Captain America, giving us a little bit of inkling into what's going on with the Avengers. They, it's it's just I think they're I think they're crazy if they think they can just keep not dealing with the the, the elephant in the room and then just say, hey, it's an Avengers movie. People are going to be all excited about it. Depends who's on the damn team. When you have like Bob Iger talking about, hey, it's going to be an all new set, whole new team of Avengers. Now, that's not exactly going to be comforting to a lot of people. Now, he's probably exaggerating. He just may mean it's a different lineup. It's not a familiar lineup. It does not necessarily mean every single character has not been a, a, a true Avenger before. But that's not what would make people that happy either. It's got to be who you got to see who's on the team. You can't just throw anybody. And I know that's part of the, the gig in the comics. The old order changes. 
but but very rarely did you dump the entire team. And when you did, it very rarely worked. It's usually you always had roll carryovers. So I think I just think they're approaching it really, really poorly. I think the I think the quality of their projects has gone down. I think it's it's probably been oversaturation, which is why they're pumping the brakes and slowing things down. But th- I think there's tons of reasons. And I think they've absolutely sucked a lot of the air out of the room. And they need to re and maybe it's a good thing ultimately because now they have to reestablish it. If they were getting too big, you know, if it was the eye of the tiger thing where they were they kind of lost, forgot what got them there, and they weren't working as hard as they needed to, or as they as they used to. I don't know, but I I think they're they're really they're they're on the precipice. So mm-hmm. and I think because they're I mean they're just turning a lot of people off as far as the interest wise, and there's always going to be projects people will see. I mean, there's always going to be a Spider-Man No Way Home where people will go see it, even if they dislike the last three movies. I mean, or a Spider-Verse were... movie. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can cling to that too, but yeah, that but that's its own niche too. That's, that's almost true. separate. Even though I know the trailer was trying to connect it more, and that's cool. But the point is, uh, yeah. So I think there's a lot there. There's lots of issues there, and I think I think we're going to see. That's why Guardians guys why Guardians will be interesting just because if for some reason Guardians underachieves, especially financially, then I think you have to look in the mirror and go, we if we're if you're Marvel, we got a lot of problems because the odds of if if Guardians doesn't work, I don't see how anybody can think the Marvels is gonna work because nobody knows anything about it. Nobody was crying for it, and it's like three characters, none of which are overly popular individually. And we haven't seen Monica since in like two years. And I don't know. I just think it's, I don't know. I, this will be an ongoing discussion as we have more and more Marvel movies. And I don't like beating a dead horse, but it's frustrating because it's like they don't seem, they, they talk like they're learning and they're, and they're picking up on things, but it just does not necessarily seem that they are based on. And this is part of the problem with having things planned out so far in advance. Also, you, you can't pivot. Kind of like we talked about with DC, how they had this problem with with by the time BVS came out and tanked, that they were just about going in. They were beginning uh, production on Justice League. It's impossible to do. That's one. Of, that's pretty much why, regardless of other reasons, that's one of the main reason WB wanted Snyder out is because they they needed to pivot. They needed to make changes. Because of the fact that they had no confidence that the Justice League was going to succeed. They probably had doubts anyway. And then once BVS failed to make a billion dollars, which should have been cake for a movie starring Batman versus Superman and Batman and Superman. Forget about fighting each other, them in the movie together. And you couldn't even break a billion dollars. But yeah. All right. What else? All right. So let's. So Lance has another voicemail regarding. Talks a little bit more about Marvel, though, but what, mostly about the uh, DC, the DC Pride episode that, and Pride and Power episode we have. So um, Chad and I are going to listen to that one. We're not going to include this one uh, but by request, but we're going to discuss the topics in it. Yeah. So for so for Pride, um, I see what he's saying and, and I agree. Like I said, of the two, I actually enjoyed I said I think I said this. The, I enjoyed the Pride one more than the Power one. I thought I believe you said that. Yes. Yeah. Um, just overall, uh, I do see what he's saying. I didn't really think of it in terms of bringing in new readers. Um, I was, and uh, I, I wouldn't obviously, um, because it wasn't intended for me in terms of my, my personal lifestyle and audience and that kind of a thing. So, um, 
that's an interesting point to make. And I, I agree with it. I, I do, uh, you know, I, I, I see Mark's point that he's been made, been made on these uh, particular things, especially with regards to Alan Scott is they make it so much of a, uh, core personality point that that's all they showcase. And it's like, if, it's totally fine to have a gay character or somebody in that community. Um, but if you, if you just make their story about that, um, that, I mean, what, what's the point of watching the hero? If that's all it's about, you know, we, we don't see Hal, and it's all about his, you know, conquests of women (laughs) across the board. Although we've seen that, we've seen that here and there in the past. Um, no, no one character is solely all about their relationship and their relationship only, unless you're talking somebody who's joined at the hip, like, I don't know, cloak and dagger or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's easy. It's definitely easy to see both sides. Um, but I did enjoy the pride issue. I do want to talk a bit about pride because we're coming up on, uh, a kind uh, on, on, on pride again, and we're coming up on another pride issue, that the solicits are out for. And I, I want to talk about that very briefly because it'll be just in subject. Um, but yeah, what did you think about the voicemail there? I agree. I agree with you. And I agree with Lance that I get, I understand. See, this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about. Uh, I really wanted to talk about this voicemail because I understand the basic concept because it's, it's human nature. When you really think about it, it's, 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 it's the same reason why if there's somebody, if there's somebody who's well known but is a blank slate, that that person is probably going to be more popular because we all project ourselves onto them. They all have the same values we do because we know nothing about them. <laughs> it's like when Ryan, when Ryan and I talked about when uh, we recorded right right after Colin Powell died, because I'm old enough to remember when after the Gulf War when Colin Powell was the most popular man in America because <laughs> because everybody respected him and he was a good man and everything else, but he also was a blank slate. Nobody knew anything about where he stood on this, whether he was a Republican, whether he was a Democrat. How about this issue? How about that issue? Once you start defining yourself, then all of a sudden that popularity, people may still respect you, but the popularity starts dwindling because you can't have that projection anymore. You can't say, hey, they're just like me. And I understand there's a a need that we have as people to do that. So I understand why, yes, if you had someone who who is a a gay, gay black female. It's like if seeing someone, even though Joe is bi, but the point is that you look at her and it's like, wow, that's just, you know, that's just like me. So I can relate to it. But it also raises the other side is how many check boxes do we need to be able to relate to someone? If you want to move beyond the fact that, hey, they're another living creature or, or even they're another human being, that's too optimistic to say you should be able to understand their story and relate to them. But how many check boxes do you need to be able to say you can understand or you find something relatable in a character? Because under this, his own scenario, while well, Joe would still be black and Joe would still be a woman. So it, aren't those aren't those enough to be able to relate to the character on a on a surface level without if you if you need to have another hook besides the fact that it's a being another human being or another superhero isn't enough. Well, these these there's two thirds of. Two thirds of those check boxes. Do you need to have all three? And I'm not saying that he said that, but but it makes me wonder because we 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 see a lot of that nowadays. It's like it's like if if somebody's not exactly like you on everything, does that mean that that makes them not relatable? And what does that say about us as people? If that's really the case, it just makes because like like you said, I can see both sides on it. But it's like 
I don't need to I don't need to have a hero or a character be exactly like me or checking all these boxes for me to be able to see part to relate or see myself in them. But I do understand it's a good in that if you're looking to bring somebody in who may feel at all this this character or this book or this universe, this world has nothing. Well, how when they don't understand me, there's nothing or nothing I can understand in it or relate to. Yeah. I can see how that could be a nice end. So I, I, I do see both sides, but like we've, I think we've all kind of probably can agree. It's, it's, it's not all black and white, no pun intended on this, that it's, uh, that there's multi layers to this. Okay. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. Uh, I, I like the pride survey. I, I still have to, uh, I honestly, just because of various things that have been going on, I haven't gone back and reread pride or power i need to because i really only read the one source I, I remember skimming through a couple of them but there there were you know much like that holiday that halloween issue that came out with dead man and everything in it there were actually a lot of good stories occasionally in those specials um uh, so i want to take the opportunity to go back through them but speaking of those specials the solicits for the the, the next comics are out and on sale the 13th of June, we have DC Pride through the years, um, which I'm going to get regardless, um, but it looks really cool. The cover of it is very Golden Age style, um, uh, which is really freaking cool. But here's what's interesting about it is it it's a it's a collection of reprints, essentially, featuring a story from Flash from the 90s, uh, from Detective from the late 2000s. Uh, from Supergirl from 2018, but there is an original story in here, and it is an all-new story starring Alan Scott, which will light the way to his next great adventure as Green Lantern. Now, I don't know if that's supposed to be coming in the Justice Society series or uh, if we're seeing something in Green Lantern or if there's going to be a whole new book coming out, but it is a bit concerning speaking to what we were talking about a, a little bit ago that... Yet again, we're getting an original Alan Scott story, but it's in the Pride issue, and it says it's talking about light the way to his next great adventure as Green Lantern to come. I again, I have no problem with any particular character having a new romantic interest or, you know, having a personal life. We, we I've talked about that a billion times. That's actually one of the things I'm most excited for for the new Hal series is he's coming back down to Earth, and we're going to see him interact with carol and you know the, the people on earth uh that he should be interacting with um and you know one of the things i miss like kyle going to radu's and all that kind of stuff but loved that so i have no problem seeing the family life the romantic life or whatever of the character but and and, and it entirely has the potential to be an original story that doesn't lean much like the the pride ish, the, the pride uh, story we were just talking about isn't 100% solely focused on the sexuality of the character. That entirely, that's entirely possible. However, I'm saying choosing what we do know about this issue that is, it is that it is nothing but reprints except for one original story, and it's the only original story in a pride specific issue. I can't help but wonder. If this is going to be yet another story where we're focused on Alan coming out, trying to, you know, struggle with all of that and deal with all of that and, you know, talk to his kids, you know, relate to his son, uh, try and, you know, get out there and date how he wrestles with that being a man of an older generation and stuff like that. Again, 
those are things you would expect to see of someone who has recently come out publicly or at least publicly enough to his family, the people that know him. But how, if we're setting up the story to come, what's its soul? What's its, what's its big focus going to be? And it's, it's interesting that it's coming through a, the only original story in a, a big pride issue. We're not going to know. And that's the reality. We're, we're not going to have, I struggled with how to say all that because it's it, it's like it, it's not like I don't want to see Alan be gay. It's like <laughs> so, so to speak. <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I know like, what you mean. <laughs> that statement could be interpreted so many ways. Um, boy, it's, uh, it, it, I'd have the same problem. Like, like for instance, Kyle has. It's been a long time since we've seen Kyle. I would love to see Kyle again. But if they set up a story going, this is the first time we've seen Kyle. And they they teased it as part of, you know, a Valentine's Day issue or whatever, where he's finding either he's reconnecting with Jade or we're going back in time and he's talking without and like whatever. I don't know what that would be. I a part of me would still be disappointed and go, man, it kind of sucks that we haven't seen Kyle in a while. And all we're getting is an update on his romance. All kidding aside, I completely agree. I think I think objectively you have a right to be concerned based on so much we've seen of Alan Scott. When when we do see him, so much of it has been focused on that part of him because that's what editorial wants to focus it on, which is why he's become the poster child. Literally, why he why that character has to be gay everywhere, no matter how many how many universes there are. Now he can't be straight. When before, all they wanted to do was have one. Why can't one be gay? Hey, that's a very good point. Now, how long ago was that? Was it Dan DiDio who said that? Which one? The why can't one be gay? Yeah. I, th- I well, it was under his watch. I don't know if he's the one who literally said it, but I think because he's think, gone now. So oh yeah, that was that was the general. But yeah, the general argument was if trying to win the day and say why people should accept it is like, well, there's 52 universes, so why can't one Alan Scott somewhere be gay? Well, that's a perfectly logical point. But what's illogical is that you have thousands and thousands of worlds, and yet now one Alan Scott can't be straight because editorial won't allow him to be straight. <laughs> So that that's you know, once again, the back to the adage we've talked about, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Well, just because you happen to be calling the shots doesn't mean that you should. Be, <laughs> you need to swing the pendulum all the way back in the opposite direction, because that, that doesn't always work either. Sometimes you got to be sometimes taking the higher ground is better. And it's like we, you don't need to kind of like, hey, we're calling the shots now. So we're going to do stuff like like that. I don't know. I I like Alan Scott. It would be a shame if. He gets pigeonholed into that. Just a token character. Yeah. And and wow. I mean, I mean, sometimes you really just, I mean, I mean, they, they moved away from it a little bit at the end of Infinite Frontier just because he was just in the middle of action sequences. So it was going to be really hard with, with it to anybody for it to, to accept if he's talking about his sexuality in the middle of a crisis event. But we know how it, it's just that's just how it's that's how we're starting out. And it was like. That's like the only thing that, like you said, the only thing they seemingly had to say about Alan Scott or wanted to say about Alan Scott. And it's like, well, that's that's not going to work. It's like you so you were kind of only half kidding, expecting to give Alan Scott his own book. Alan Scott, the gay Green Lantern. I don't know. I it, there's nothing wrong with it being part of who he is, but it shouldn't be all of who he is. Yeah. And it's just like what they're doing, what they're doing with, you know, with Tim Drake. You know, it's like. It's like he's supposed to be bi, but how how likely is that we're ever going to see him really with women again, at least on equal footing like he has like he is currently with guys. 
Is it really likely? Not without a massive editorial shift. It's probably not very likely. And again, there's nothing wrong if he was by to begin with, but he wasn't. And they changed him. And now, you know, because it's and they don't care if it sells books because it doesn't. That's the point. That's the difference between, you know, that's where the agenda, quote unquote, agenda stuff gets in, comes in. Same thing with Disney and Pixar and different things. There's nothing to do with representation is fine, but. That shouldn't be the the only thing that matters. Shouldn't be well. We don't care what kind of we don't care what kind of story you want to tell. You have to have this character, and you have to have this character, and you have to have that reference, and you have to. It's like that's not. Then you have an agenda which is not about telling good stories and creating good characters. But yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, yeah, like for like a good example. And I, I, I'm not thinking of this as, as, as like I'm, I'm fully fleshed out story here that I've written or whatever. But like an Alan, original Alan Scott story that has a good amount to do with his sexuality, but also I would consider a good story. What is what is his relationship with the Starheart or Starheart or his ability to control his own power like now that he is more himself? It's it's one thing. And it could even be an interesting story just using a regular Green Lantern, you know, willpower based ring. But now we let's we're skewing that. And this is specifically Alan. This is a magic based ring. Magic has a whole set of different rules than just emotions in general or willpower or whatever. So what now that Alan, his whole life, supposedly, based on what we've learned so far about his like, apparently he's always known this about himself, but obviously based on the the decade, the, the time period in which he grew up in, he had to suppress that side of himself. That's the story they're going with here. So if he's been suppressing a side of himself all his life, what is his command of his his own power set, the magic? What is he able to unleash now that he is supposedly happier, what uh, more true to himself or whatever? What what is that? What does that look like to a magic wielder who is more free than they were before? What what is that? What is what does that look like? I think that would be a cool story to read that gives us something more about Alan, but also focuses a little bit on his journey through his sexuality, because relatively speaking, in terms of the amount of time we've seen him uh, since he is, quote unquote, come out, we would obviously still be in sort of the infancy of him learning about himself and this community that he's becoming a part of and stuff. So it would it make sense to learn more alongside of him and see that part focused on a little bit? Yes. And that would be an interesting way I would would be curious to see that is what does it look like for this hero who's been actively I mean how how long has Alan been around in DC? Cause you know, zero hour, they got re-aged or de-aged or whatever. So like what is in Canon and how, how long has Alan been around? Has he really been around since the forties? And we're saying that he's looks like what he's a 40 ish year old man uh, in present day. I don't even know if I would hazard a guess anymore to know, <laughs> to know yeah. because we've, we've there's been so many things with him with, with earth two. And then yeah. I don't, it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, I do think the topic you said would it w- it would be interesting. I I still think it would have been much better for the character for Alan if they just made him buy. If there's a character that if they wanted to do a shift, making him buy would be much better than making him closeted all the because we know from all the stories that we read 
that you know he obviously had passionate relationships with women so the reality is making him buy would be much would be much more of a jeff con than a retcon <laughs> it's like uh he it's like kind of like he started off on this side he kind of drifts somewhere along the way he kind of drifted into the middle now he's on the other side that happens that would be fine as opposed to but but it kind of wouldn't invalidate his past relationships and but if you're going to but it, since they've done that essentially to a certain extent, they can deny that they have, but we know they have uh, by making it sound like he was always 100 percent gay. He just couldn't really accept it himself and, and it wasn't publicly acceptable. So he he couldn't run the risk. So he all all these all these things, which are true and have happened. But by going that road. They certainly were, were retconning his past relationship with women. But doing that, like you said, that would be interesting to say that now he, you know, that he's tapping into things. His his potential. Yes, it's not an Owen ring with the willpower aspect, but still the idea that he is more true to himself and he is in more control technically of who he is himself. Does that mean he would have more control over the star heart? Mm -hmm. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, would be. All right. What's next? I think it's you again. All right. Interview with the vampire. Go for it. I finally watched Interview with the Vampire. I already mentioned it earlier in this episode, but that's exactly why I've been putting it off is is seeing things, seeing new things. I was also just concerned. I have a lot of love for Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. Those are not just books I've read and loved. Those are books I have every single issue or every single book of every single novel. And I've read again and again and again and again and in terms of a fictional novel based universe. Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles is the number one for me. So it's going to be very hard to appease me in that regard. I watched it. I liked it. I certainly liked it better than the movie. And I certainly liked it better than Queen of the Damned. I never saw the musical. I saw apparently it leaked online or something in a decent quality. I I heard some of the songs. Uh, I would have liked to see. I think it was the Vampire Lestat is what it was based off of the musical. The, uh, when they tried to put it on Broadway or they did put it on Broadway or whatever for a brief time. So I haven't seen that ad- adaptation, but here's, so going into it, you know, and we talked about this a bit on the show, or I talked about this a bit on the show. So some of the changes that they had made was that in the book interview with a vampire, Louis de Pointe du Lac is a, a white man in the 1800s in Louisiana who runs a pl- plantation. Or his family owns a plantation. In the in the TV series, he is a man of color in the early 1900s in New Orleans proper, in uh, and he is a pimp. Who Louis is in terms of what matters about him as a character is still there his brother is highly religious um there he has the the he has his own sort of thoughts about the world and the way it operates at the end of the day louis is a is turned into a monster almost unwillingly uh or rather willingly at the time but regrets it much so later he what what is he is he is he truly damned is he um 
Uh, is he a killer? Is he a monster? Like, what is he? Uh, and really wrestles with that, which is part of the why. And they get this right in the TV show. Louis stops killing people and starts feeding off of animals instead. Um, and so on and so forth. So I don't, at the end of the day, the problems that I had with the TV show did not, for the most part, originate from the change in Louis de Pointe du Lac being a black man in the early 1900s, as opposed to a white man in the uh, 1800s who is a plantation owner. Because uh, they still get the core of Louis, for the most part, right. The problem I do have is Lestat. Um, Lestat is violent in this, and it's not like he wasn't violent in the in the movie, but Lestat's violent. At one point, in at one point, Mark, there's some people at the house that he and Louis share, and Louis's already a vampire at this point, and one of them tries to escape, and freaking Lestat punches the dude through the back of the head, and his fist comes out the front of his face. Lestat or any vampire of good taste in 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 uh, Anne Rice's universe, they don't waste food like that. <laughs> they they don't kill because they can kill. They're it, the classic idea of a vampire is it's it's this thing that goes bump in the night, right? That's not that's not Anne Rice's vampires. Anne Rice's vampires have, I mean, they you know. Back in the day, you would talk, or not back in the day, you know, a few years ago, you you know, it was everywhere about twinkly vampires and stuff, the glittering and stuff like that with Twilight. Well, Anne Rice's vampires in some way were a precursor to that because she romanticized vampires. Um, she made them elegant creatures and something that you wanted to, you know, nobody really watched Dracula or nosferatu or any of that other stuff and went i want to be a vampire that kind of happened because of people like anne rice if not anne rice herself being the originator for that sort of romanticized desire uh, of immortality and the violence of the stat here's the here's the other problem too is they they really play up and spoilers people spoilers they play up the idea of the unreliable narrator. Because one of the differences, another of the differences between the book and the movie is the interview with the vampire is an interview with Louis de Pointe du Lac in the eighties with him and this young reporter. And then you get the book interview with a vampire in the, in the TV series. Here's the deal. That interview still happened. And it still happened in the 80s. But the reporter who originally interviewed him is now, you know, in the twilight of his career. And Louis has invited him for another interview because at the time, Louis was playing up different pieces of the story or whatever. He wants to tell him the real story. And already, before you even get to midway or to the end of the season, already you're seeing differences in the story Louis told in the 80s and the story Louis is telling now. Then, as the story goes on and the episodes move on, 
you start to see little holes. Like there's this one particular scene and and what is happening doesn't really matter, but there's a scene with him and his brother. And uh, it's the, it's right before his brother dies. Louis doesn't, isn't a part of his death. Doesn't know how he died or whatever. But the uh, but the but the moment that this it, it's not him and his brother it's him and a, a, a prior interest it doesn't really matter. The idea was was that night was it raining or not? And you see the way Louis originally tells the story, and then we kind of circle back to it and goes the the reporter asks was it raining? And then we see Louis think about it, and then we see the same scene, but it's raining. So like the, the there's a little bit of a jolt there, and then there's some big reveal which I won't even spoil in 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 a spoil with a spoiler warning. There's a big reveal at the end that really drives home the wait is everything we've just been told an unreliable narrative, and it drives me insane because as violent as Lestat is, there are moments where you like him. But me as a Vampire Chronicles fiend, he's almost a wholly unlikable character for all these episodes. He's a gigantic dick. So regardless of whether you drive home the unreliable narrator narrator concept, Interview with the Vampire is the only book in the Vampire Chronicles that focuses on Louis. The rest focus on Lestat. He's the brat prince. He's the rock star. He feeds on Akasha, the queen of the damned. He becomes nearly godlike. He does a body switch. He's, you know, there's there's even stuff to do with Atlantis later on. Don't even get me started. It's convoluted, uh, but it's still fun because I love that universe. Lestat is our main rock star, brat prince character. You know, just the 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 come with me into hell. You know, the Pied Piper just singing and luring you all the way to into his insanity or whatever. And it's just a wild, romantic, whatever sort of ride into immortality. But if you start with Lestat being an absolute violent sociopathic dick, even if you have the unreliable narrator part, does that matter? Because you've already made the public see Lestat in a certain light. Have they now locked down the idea of what Lestat is and who he is because of this and are not going to buy him as our main POV character later on because of it? Because Lestat is not only violent and a dick, he's abusive, manipulative, uh, you know, physically abusive, emotionally abusive to to Louis and to the people around him. Uh, and he's sociopathic and he's gaslighting people like all the stuff that in a modern context people have a lot of they always they always should have had a problem with but now it's much more in the forefront of emotional manipulation and so on and so forth and Lestat very much does this he's an abusive son of a bitch to Louis and uh, Claudia but because of that and because of the world in which we live in is the unreliable narrator going to be enough for people to not be like oh Louis was lying and we really should have trusted Lestat all along because he really isn't that bad of a guy. And, you know, you know, in, in some ways, are we not believing the victim by not believing Louis and so on and so forth. So like, I was really worried that this unreliable narrator concept is not going to be enough to make people accept Lestat as our POV character moving forward. I'm really concerned they did real damage to the core 
of what Lestat is supposed to be that when the all the layers of lies or whatever are pulled back from Louis's narrative, they're not going to accept Lestat. Yeah, that's that's always a slippery slope when you try to. It's funny you, you kind of mentioned that because not that I remember very many uh, movies that were on this list, but I saw a list some on some site about how it was like I think it was like a top top ten list of movies in which like the the protagonist was com- was completely unlikable <laughs> or, or you couldn't sh- they that you could not cheer at all for them and I, i'm trying to remember because there were some obviously on the list that i didn't agree with but but they had heather from the blair witch project on it which i completely appreciate since i watched that movie so many times that yeah as much as you may think you're making a character complex and making them, and because dark is in, you make a character dark. It's if you go too far and you make them so much of a so much of an ass that you that they're completely unrelatable, then then you're kind of defeating your own purpose potentially to a large extent. Yeah, it's just it's the the some of the stuff that Lestat does is to the point like where I mean obviously they wouldn't do it as on the nose as this, but if then your next explanation to when you see Lestat is. Oh, he was lying. He's really a great guy. How much are you going to believe that based yeah. on what you've already seen? Even if it's 100% true that Louis was lying, it doesn't matter because you've what you've seen. And in terms of the, the reality of the production of a TV series, you're not only seeing Lestat in this point of view. You're being asked to sit with it and consider it and remember it for the time the the next season premieres that you're you're all spending all of this time solidifying in your mind who these characters were where we last met them what their core personality is like so on and so forth so you can pick up the narrative back if that's the show you really like in the next season if you did the unreliable narrator thing and then pulled back at the veil within a reasonable time frame say within the same season that might be one thing but you're asking people to sit with it and allow it to solidify in their minds while they wait for another season. I would agree. I would say that's a, it's a slippery slope to go down. It's uh, you may have grand plans of how to build this out or maybe rationalized it or have, Oh, we, we've set this character up. So you view this character a certain way now, but if we get to where we want to go, you're going to realize there's more to it than that. Well, you may never get that far. So that that kind of, so then there's a risk sometimes playing the long game some, sometimes has some a lot of risks to it. <laughs> yeah, I also watched the Mayfair, which is series uh, season, which is so you you know how we have the MCU and the DCU and all this other stuff. The AMC is now building the Immortal Universe, which is Anne Rice's stuff. So thus far, the Vampire Chronicles, the Mayfair witches. She also did a few werewolf stories, so maybe we'll see that at some point. So I'm really excited to see that world build because, yes, at one point, the witches did become involved in the vampire narrative. There were a couple of books about it, like Blackwood Farm and stuff like that. So I'm excited to see these two worlds build themselves within their own world. Because I don't know, how, how much do you remember about the Queen of the Damned movie? Not much at all. I, it's been such a long time since I've seen any of that movie. Do you remember there being an organization that was watching that knew Lestat was really a vampire? Like I, it wasn't just a gimmick for his rock group. He's actually a vampire. And the, the, the Talamasca that has been watching for decades uh, 
eons grit order i think some of that sounds familiar but not all that much like i said it's been a long time since i had hands-on experience with any of it yeah so the talamasca doesn't show up in the vampire chronicles but they do show up in the mayfair witches and eventually we will see them in the vampire chronicles i I think the talamasca is going to end up being like the nick fury or the shield that connects these two worlds um in some way because you know there has you know they they've existed since i think the dark ages or something and they they know about the supernatural world and they've they're studying they're watching they're archiving and so on and so forth they're not getting involved um they're just sort of documenting um so they're having fun with that and i think that's going to be a lot of fun the mayfair witches i don't i've read the books but not as frequently as i have the vampire chronicles it seems largely um faithful to the books uh the mayfair witches stuff um but i'm excited uh there's lots of stuff going on over there but uh it's uh it seems to be, and plus Alexandra Daddario is our yes. Main that is, I have not watched a single episode of that yet, but that is the big draw <laughs> for me. At some point, there are several big draws with Alexandra Daddario, and uh, she's a fantastic actress in this show, by the way. Like, yes, she's she's eye candy for sure, but like, she is really good, very complex in this show. Well, that's good. I'm glad. All right. Anything else we wanted to talk about tonight? I don't. I don't think so. I'm just trying to think if there's anything at some point. Obviously, we'll we'll talk about Shazam at some point in greater detail. Once I see it, I should I can actually have some at least some input in, at least from a non-spoilery perspective about what I think worked and and didn't. I hope to see it soon, but you know, obviously, yeah. I got stuff going on. So yeah, and the Blue Beetle trailer drop that was yep. in, that was interesting. and the Spider Verse one. Yes, that dropped, and I thought there was another. Oh, the Secret Invasion trailer dropped as well. So yeah, there's a bunch of stuff on the on bunch of stuff on the horizon coming out, and but I think I think for now I think that's uh, I think that's all she wrote. All right. Well, if people want to reach out to us, how do they do so? Lanterncast.com is the website. Lanterncast at gmail.com. If you want to contact us, send us an email. Looking for a Discord information? Lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GeoCast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please leave us a positive review on all platforms you listen to us on. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or text, 708-Lantern, and let us know what you think. Uh, also, guys, uh, head on over to our YouTube channel, LanternCast Vids, um, all one word. Uh, I recently posted a card unboxing over there for the new Pokemon Scarlet and Violet set. Uh, that just released this past week as we record this. And Mark has a video coming up as well. I don't know if he's posting tonight or just relatively soon. I'm gonna uh, try to I'm gonna try to do it on on the on the, the sixth. I'm gonna try to do it on Thursday because I don't think I've yeah, but that will be my big bad toy store unboxing. Not much in the box, but some cool stuff. Perfect. And um, you know, I've got a lot of trading card unboxings over there. I've got two more coming up actually. Uh, and I've got time to do them now. So uh, hopefully I'll have actually a couple of more of those in quick succession pretty soon. Um, uh, one being an unboxing of the 1993 Milestone line of trading cards. 
and then another of a premium format DC comics um, cards that actually do have some Green Lantern stuff in there. Um, whether the art is worth it or not is another story entirely. But definitely go over to Lantern Cast Vids on YouTube and subscribe. We have actually over 500 subscribers over there, uh, which is just cool for, for uh, you know, obviously it's not something we really deeply focus on, you and I, but for something that we don't really promote or whatever to have 500 subscribers is kind of cool. Yeah. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. So head on over there and give us a subscription. And uh, we promise not to inundate your YouTube feed with videos, but uh, we will be posting stuff on occasion over there. So guess we'll, we will talk to you guys later. Good night, everybody. Good night.